Hello there, I'm Pete Snodden. Welcome to The Journey. Now, in this series so far, we've heard from broadcasters, a doctor, a DJ, and now we go to the centre of the football pitch. I have a big love of the beautiful game. But the person in the middle of the pitch blowing the whistle, the referee, has always intrigued me. I could think of nothing worse. Firstly, I'd be rubbish at it. But what's it like to send someone off? In this episode of The Journey, I've caught up with a gentleman called Alan Snoddy. Alan was an Irish League referee for many, many years. He then became a referee's mentor and he advised many football associations on referee structure and developing referees. He had a very distinguished career that took him to not one but two World Cups. He represented Northern Ireland right across Europe, refereeing internationals over the years. He is just about to write a book. He's going through his memoirs right now, and I thought it would be a great time to catch up with him and ask all these questions that I have been busting to ask for quite some time. I really enjoyed the chat, and I hope you do too, particularly if you are a football fan. This is the journey of Alan Snoddy. The Journey with Pete Snodden. Alan Snoddy, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's amazing whenever I think back as a child and I think about going to watch football in the Irish League, arguably one of the first people I think of is you. And I'll tell you a story. The first game I went to, it was at Clandy Boy Park in Bangor. Now, this is my memory. You can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. It was a Northern Ireland schoolboys game like under 16s or something like that. I am certain that you were you were refereeing. Maybe you're going to tell me that because you were association referee that couldn't have possibly been you. But that's my memory of it anyway. We got we got we got tickets through school to go. So we we left Bangor Central and walked down to Clandy Boy Park and it was a big it was a big thing for someone in P5 at the time, do you know what I mean? Going to watch. Yeah. And so you yeah. so you were refereeing and then I remember my dad taking me to the oval and you were the man in the middle and um and how I remember it so so distinctly is because of some of the chants and some of the banter and whatever that was coming from the sidelines directed at you. And my initial thoughts being a young, impressionable boy was that why would anybody put themselves in the middle of that pitch with a whistle? Yeah, very good question. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I think most of the answer is because I really enjoyed I really enjoyed football, obviously, um, and I recognised that at quite an early age that I was never going to be a top player. Um, and I think I can remember going to watch a game or two and saying to myself, "I could do better than that." Maybe a bit naively. Uh, I'm speaking about the referee, of course, because he was obviously getting the same stick that you heard me getting. Um, so there was something working away in my mind that I could do better than that. And it would be a way of, uh, you know, becoming involved in football. Little believing, of course, at, at that stage where it would the journey would take me to. Um, but it's interesting you remember those games because I do have a, a couple of little notebooks which uh, in which every match that I refereed or worked in is is uh, recorded in it. So from day one, I kept a little note of all my games, which has proved. Um, uh, 
an, an unbelievable way to to to, to memorize things and and uh, for people to you know you've mentioned you've mentioned the schoolboys game I could check I could go back and check that if it was me of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, my memory is that it was you. My memory. Okay. Uh, was that it was well, you. I'll check that up later, yeah. Please yeah. do, please. And it was a Boy Park, yeah. It was, yeah. So listen, you, right. had, you had an, an amazing, um, an amazing career as a, as a referee and you went to the World Cup and, and uh, I really want, I want to, I want to talk all about that because there's so much to get through, but you were 16 when you started, right? Um, as a 16 year old, you know, even at that particular moment, whenever you said, I, I realized I wasn't going to be a footballer and it was my way to be involved in the game, 16 is very young to want to be a referee. Is that the same in modern times now? No, no, it's completely different, uh, Pete. Now, uh, when, I, when I started, it was just me. Um, and I think looking back in hindsight, that was probably quite a big advantage because I was noticed as a young referee. Um, today, um, Today, there would be many, many referees of that age uh, in youth football and junior football. So it's quite, it's quite commonplace now. Um, therefore, you don't get noticed as much, uh, especially in youth games. I think there's a lot of young referees because to reach the very top uh, now, uh, you would need to start your refereeing career in your, in your late teens. Um, whereas in my time, I, I, was the, uh, I was the only one, really. So talk me through, you, there's something that you and I have in common, and hopefully I've got this right, is that I love football, as do you. You're, you, you became a referee, but you started off playing hockey back in the day. Yeah, well, I went to a hockey school at Friends, Friends School in Lisburn, um, and my dad was also very keen on hockey. Um, he, he played hockey in his youth, and then he uh, reported on hockey games on, on Saturdays. Um, he worked all his life in the Belfast newsletter, actually. So uh, a little sideline that he had was the hockey correspondent as well on Saturday. So um, I, I well remember, uh, probably at the age that you were taken to Clandy Boy Park, actually, on Saturday afternoons, quite often I went with my dad and maybe one or two of my brothers as well to watch Senior League Hockey, as it was called then. Um, so I was getting a little introduction to watching top uh, hockey games and then of course when I went to friend school I had a you know probably an idea a better idea than most of the other guys uh, in school about the game um, which I really enjoyed of course a different sport today than what it was in, in my time um, so I'd sort of come from a hockey family hockey background um, and uh, played played for the school team and played for Ulster Schoolboys and got a trial for Ireland, which it didn't quite make the Irish team. But um, at the same time, I was refereeing then in the afternoon after playing hockey in the morning. Uh, and I knew at that stage, if the football didn't work, if the refereeing didn't work, uh, or I didn't enjoy it, or just didn't happen, then I could easily just go back to playing hockey on Saturday afternoon, probably at a decent level. You might be able to help me out with something here right now. So my late dad was a footballer. I, I went to Inst in Belfast and I played hockey all my days. And that's probably the reason why I didn't play football because you you couldn't play football in my school until you were in fifth year or above. So it was hockey or rugby yeah. and I chose hockey and that was that. Um, but uh, but my love of, of, of football was always there. My dad was a team footballer and he, he signed for, the, he never played for the first team at the Blues, but he signed for the Blues and he played for oh, a number of different teams. But he did play for St. Donard's. 
back in the day, you would have refereed St. Donard's in the Church's League. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, my my apprenticeship, as I called it, was Church's League, Old Boys League, um, and then Amateur League, the lower uh, uh, divisions in the Amateur League back then. So, um, and those were, yeah, yeah. I mean, those were in the mid seventies, um, when of course Northern Ireland was not in a good, not in a good situation. So, but football survived all that, um, and uh, I guess the Saturday afternoon game was a the highlight for for many people and you know we played uh we played through the troubles obviously um and it's only when you really look back you start to appreciate all these things that uh you know bomb scares army checkpoints um waiting for a car to arrive for four players in it um for a two o'clock kickoff and no mobile phones to contact each other so but the players knew that the car load was on its way it had left uh, was about to leave and perhaps there was some disruption somewhere but it's quite interesting when I did think back to those days there was never any desire for one team to claim the game because four players had turned up late there seemed to be a willingness to play the games because I think they probably realised if we're travelling next week across the city the same thing could happen to us so um, it was it, it was uh, Interesting just to, to, to remember all those days. So for me, sport's always been a real common denominator. It's been, a, it's been something that brings people together more so than, than shows people's differences. Um, for you at that particular time, j- just take us back to the feeling around football. Um, uh, and, and, and am I looking at it through rose-tinted glasses? Or, or was it a real sort of, you know, meet in the middle? This is something that... That, that, that we all enjoy no matter who your team is um it was certainly it was certainly very competitive um but i don't really remember any have n- nothing in the back of my mind that there were any matches that really turned into um uh turned into wars if I, well, that's not really the right word but it, it, it really got out of control or the players themselves um whilst there was rivalry obviously between the two teams it it was a competitive rivalry and a, and a you know they they could fight a bit out during the game final whistle went handshakes all round and let's look forward to next week um and obviously there were there were games between uh, between teams coming from both sides of the community and i honestly don't remember any real issues between between the, the, the in fact you had more issues with matches between either two Protestant clubs or two Catholic clubs for for <laughs> one of a better way to put it there seemed to be more rivalry there um so there did but uh, I mean there were super days and it was a tough apprenticeship when I look back but those few years at that level um gave me a really solid foundation to work on which probably doesn't exist today in junior football. So getting to to uh, referee the big games in Northern Ireland in the top division, and we're talking about the Glentorns and the Linfields and the Cliftonvilles of this world. Um, I mean, c- can you remember your, your first game? Can you remember what it was like to be called up to that level? And what age were you then? At 23. 23 when I refereed my first Irish League match, which was Portadown and Ballymena at Shamrock Park. Um, 
I think in in January '79. Yeah, so I I'd got um, a very very quick promotion when I came through intermediate football. I only stayed in intermediate football eighteen months, which is um, really really fast. But when you add on the five years of junior football, then that makes more sense because uh, it would be impossible to get into senior football. Um, you know, if that takes several years, even today, and, and you do need to do the miles and get the games behind you. Um, but it all happened very fast at that stage. And there were four of us promoted to senior level um, in January of that year, which again was most unusual. Um, promotions would normally be done at the end of the season. And this came as a complete shock, I think, to all four of us. Um, just totally out of the blue. Um, I'm not really sure why they did it. I think there was a feeling that they needed more referees with experience at top level and they wanted to give people a chance. Um, and maybe there were quite a lot of referees at that stage uh, coming to the end of their careers. So somebody had realised that we need to refresh this list a little bit. Um, so it did come as a complete surprise, but that was that was the first game. Um, your memories of it, we, I, I presume you were nervous. I mean, I don't know how you guys, I mean, you had a long steam career. I don't know how you, you put yourself in, in the middle of that pitch with that whistle and you're totally in control. And, you know, the fear for me would be making a mistake. My, my impression of you is that you're a very meticulous guy and you always strive for perfection. Yeah. Um <laughs> Of course, you try and get through and you try and minimize mistakes, of course. Um, and I think you have to accept that you're going to make, you're going to make mistakes. Now, um, you certainly don't go out with self-fulfilling prophecies, worrying about everything that can go wrong. I think you go out with totally the opposite attitude that the next decision is the important one. And, uh, you know, obviously try and get them all right. And we all, we all make mistakes. I mean, I'm working a lot now in referee development and referee education and we say at seminars the whole aim of this seminar is to minimize mistakes um, because perfection just isn't going to happen and a player isn't going to have a 100% pass rate and a goalkeeper is not going to save every penalty and a striker is not going to score every penalty and you know on and on it goes so we're all human beings but we want to uh, minimize the errors of course. Um, I don't remember being nervous before the game. I may well have been. Uh, obviously, it wasn't just a normal game at that stage, but um, I think if there was any nervousness that was channeled in a, in a positive way to, to, to start and take advantage of the opportunity I had been given. Um, I do know at the end of the game that the referee observer was happy. Um, so uh, it was a matter just of of uh, making sure that people had confidence in me that they could still still send out appointments and keep appointing me. From playing team sport myself, I know the, the, the buzz that you get from playing within a team. I know the buzz you get whenever you make a tackle or whenever you score a goal or whenever you are an instrumental person within a play. I get all that. What what buzz do you get from being a referee? There, there's obviously something within you that you love whenever you blow that whistle. Um, that makes you want to do it and gives you a buzz. Otherwise, why would you do it? Is it just simply the par? No, I don't think it's par. I, I never really considered that a, it was a powerful position. I think I think what I considered was I was part of the game, part of the sport. Um, obviously, every game needs a referee, needs two assistant referees. 
nowadays fourth officials <laughs> before we even talk about VAR and, and all the other add-ons that have appeared recently. But um, I think it was just the, the desire to be involved in the game. Um, getting a buzz came after the game when perhaps you got back to the dressing room and things had gone well or you were driving home or you woke up the next morning maybe after an international match abroad somewhere or or things like that. I don't really think you get so much of a buzz during the game um, because you're so conscious that uh, it's not over until the final whistle goes. And I can understand a player scoring a goal gets that adrenaline rush or a buzz uh, um, because he's had a special moment. I don't think referees have... I mean, we don't get buzzes from sending players off or giving correct penalties or making correct decisions. That You just delete that part and move on to the next decision. Um, so, the, the, I mentioned at the start of my, my memory as a child was of the, the banter, abuse if you want to call it, uh, being directed at you in the middle. And in fairness to you, you know, um, you were you had a you had the highest profile of any referee in the league, um, and uh, and people remember you for years after. And as as I said to you at the start, you know, I've always believed you aimed for perfection, and you were very passionate about what you were doing. I'm not saying anyone else was less passionate passionate than you, but you were very passionate about what 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 you were doing. So, whenever you've you've made a mistake or the crowd are on your case or whatever, was there ever moments of doubt where you sort of you sort of thought to yourself, why have I signed up for this? I don't need this in my life. Um, the, the honest answer is no. Uh, there was never any time in my career that, uh, that I really thought that this is enough. That's my last game. Of course, there were moments when things had gone wrong. Uh, of course, there were moments when you'd made a mistake. Um, uh, any of those moments stick in your mind? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few of them, obviously, yeah, which, which, I, <laughs> which, I, which I can remember. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, I, I remember a goal at Balamina from a penalty kick that it, it appears to have gone through the net when I have given a goal kick. This is a long, long time ago when no television, etc., uh, etc. Et so um, I think it was actually Brian Jennings of Colerain, Pat Jennings's brother, who took the. We took the kick, and anybody that knows Balamina will know behind the goals is a fair bit of space. So um, the ball went into the top corner, and, and we all saw it going towards the the, the old uh, stock car track. Um, and I simply gave a goal kick, but there was some minor discussion about that's gone through the net. Thankfully, it was in the last minute of the game, and thankfully, it didn't affect the result. Um, but it niggled me after the game because there was a bit more talk about it. <clears throat> so before I left for home, I went and checked the goal net to see that, yes, the rope had stretched into like an oval shape instead of the square shape it should have been. So clearly clearly that's what had happened. Um, it's a famous famous one where I gave a penalty against Lindsay McKeown at the oval, which 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 wasn't because he didn't he didn't touch the ball with his hand. So when I meet Lindsay now, he sticks his foot up to shake his foot instead of his hand. So, <laughs> uh, so I hope he's got over it. I'm not sure he's over it 100%. You mentioned managers. What was your relationship like with the managers? Because there were so many um, characters in the top division in Northern Ireland. And I'm thinking of McFall and I'm thinking of Coyle and I'm thinking of Jeffries. You know, you know what was your relationship like with those managers? Um, was it uh, was it a, a mutually 
we with with a mutual respect. And I, I'm I know you had your moments. If you want to, if you want to recap it. Yeah, I mean, of course there were moments, and of course there were there were situations because. But yes, mutual respect is is I think sums it up perfectly. Even to this day, um, I think there's still too much trying to distract the blame maybe from the way their own team has played on to a referee who's possibly possibly made a totally correct decision by giving a penalty that has cost them the game. Um, but it's it's not easy for them either, and, and I understand that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, credit sometimes is, is not given to referees who make the perfectly correct decision. They've no option only to caution somebody. They've no option only to send somebody off. The penalty that they've given is totally correct. The foul that they've given is totally correct. Uh, and there's too much focus on the negative. Whenever you are mentoring um, referees now, which is what you've gone on to do, uh, having you know, um, retired from, from, from being a full-time referee, um, w- w- what's your advice to them? You know, what, what are the, the things that you take from your career that you bestow on others and say, here, do you know what? I was in this situation. I did this. I should have done this. Well, what's, what's your main bits of advice for anyone who is, is currently a referee or someone who's thinking about it? Well, I think in the days when I was mentoring referees, both domestically and internationally, the, the, first, the first thing you need to understand is that, is that they're not going to referee the way you refereed, the way I refereed. So you shouldn't really be, be telling them do this because I did it. Uh, so it's important to watch them in games. It's important to understand um, their family background, their their personal situation. It's it's nearly like a big brother, um, and it's very very important that they have got trust in you and confidence in you, so that they can, you know, discuss things openly and objectively uh, uh, about their game. So every every single person would have different needs, would have different areas where they needed advice on. Um, so it's very, very difficult just to nail it down to, to one or two things. But by watching them, you can you can uh, you can find some things for them to work on short term. So um, you know put that skill into practice or try this. If it works then you know put put that in as part of your uh day to day refereeing. Um, so uh, working with them as individuals is is very rewarding as well. Not everybody will progress. It's it's a matter of trying to make sure that everybody maximizes their own potential, which will all be at different levels of the game. So it may be uh, maybe may somebody that grassroots football, for example, who can reach the next level, but that's uh, that's their that's their peak. My, if I was a ref, I would, I would hate to be a referee. I could never do it. I really couldn't. Um, I, number one, I don't, I don't think I would ever have the confidence to do it. But one thing that would be playing in the back of my mind, and maybe whenever you do go further down the leagues, grassroots football or whatever, that if it, if a situation ever happened where it kicked off between two players, how you would be the person to bring that under control. And my fear would be that I couldn't bring it under control, and it would turn into some sort of melee of some description. You know, uh, did that ever enter your head? What way did the referees deal with that? Well, of course, I've been in many situations where it's kicked off. Um, one thing that fascinates me quite often is is people will say the referees lost control of the game when it's actually it's actually the players have lost control of themselves through 
through really very little and you've got a mass brawl or you've got two people uh, fighting with each, with each other. How do you bring it under control is, again, it's probably different in each situation, but sometimes you've got to rely on all our players calming the situation down for you. Sometimes you just got to wait until it all stops. Um, the last thing you do is get into the middle of it and try and separate people and, and, and pull people away. Um, so uh, it's um, it's probably just something that you learn to manage, learn to deal with, and then at the end of it, you've got to take the strong decision um, and be strong and not be weak because I always ask this question to the groups of referees when I'm, I'm speaking to them. Um, when we talk about controlling games and being strong, do players want a strong referee or a weak referee? Of course, the answer is always a strong referee. So, you know, don't be afraid of making the difficult decisions. Don't look for reasons not to make the tough decisions. It may be short-term pain, but it'll be long-term gain because you'll get, you know, you'll get a reputation of being strong and fair, which is really all you can ask for. And that's what you got throughout your career. Your ascendancy then into international football happened again relatively quickly. So um, getting the call up to, to represent the Irish Football Association, traveling and obviously the international games, and then getting to the World Cup. Just talk us through that moment in your life. You must, it must have been really exciting. Well, the first, the first point, obviously, was to get on the international, the FIFA list at, at, at 25. So um, I think, again, that came as quite a surprise because it happened so soon because uh, 25 years old then, that was, um, again, going back to the days when I started, I was obviously the youngest uh, at that point as well. Um, so I, I think what happened, I didn't really find this out until uh, until well after it happened is there were a couple of people who recognized the, the ability and, and the potential and they uh, you know they were pushing me forward without me actually realizing it at the time so th that was a big step uh, in those days we also acted as assistant referees or linesmen as they used to be called in Europe so whilst you were a FIFA referee you also went on appointments as a as a linesman with experienced international referees. So again, that was a an education and, and you know, you got a feel for for uh, international football. Um, and then again, the World Cup in 86 appointment just, well, you know, you've used the words yourself that, that just was totally unexpected at that time. Uh, that really just came from nowhere. And uh, I mean, I'd done a few international matches before that. And again, looking back in hindsight, uh, obviously there were people at those games just to just just to monitor progress and and um, you know just check just check that, uh, that that it was good enough to go. Obviously, but but tell me this, and don't hide your light under a bushel here, right? What was it about you that got their attention? There are so many referees, so many people who would dream of refereeing in a World Cup. But what was it about you? What was it that stuck out in terms of your performance that made them say, yeah, he can do it. He can be on that level. He can be at a World Cup. I don't know, Pete. I really don't know. I, I do think um, my young age, again, at that point, I do really think was a help um, because that must have stood out because people 
as I moved through the ranks would not have been used to seeing somebody so young at whatever level it was move, move, moving up. Um, I was always very, very fit. So and I was always enjoyed running around the field of play, maybe too much at times. So maybe that was something that got noticed as well because it was always conscious that I needed to be in the right positions and clo as close to play as possible. Certainly in, la in later years, the running decreased <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the experience kicked in there. Um, but it was probably youthful enthusiasm as well. Um, and I think also at that time, as it is today, of course, as well, uh, you know, people with potential are um, are monitored and, and given their opportunities. Of course, back then, there was no such thing as mentoring, no such thing as coaching, um, and all the, the uh, development projects that are, that are in place today. Um, so you were very much, very much on your own. Occasionally, an observer would turn, would turn up at a game and, and watch your game even at senior level, whereas today there's 100% coverage. So the, the support and the, and the coaching and development for referees today is like years away from what it was in my time. I imagine um, the life of, of a referee is, is quite solitary. I imagine it to be quite lonely. If you're playing team sport, you know, you, you're arriving maybe, if you're playing amateur sport or whatever, you're arriving in, in a car with, you know, the three or four of your teammates, you know, you've got the banter in the dressing room beforehand, all of that. Afterwards, maybe go for a drink or whatever it is. But the life of a referee, particularly whenever you're doing international games, was that was that a very lonely time? You know, obviously it's a, it's a great accolade to get the gig. But whenever you're traveling there, I imagine on your own, you're traveling to the stadium on your own, you're on your own in the middle of that pitch, albeit you've got your assistant referees with you in your ear, more so now than back then. But was it was it a, yeah. was it lonely psychologically? Did you have to be really mentally strong to to be a ref, particularly on that level? Well, um, obviously, when you start off in junior football, you're on your own, and that yeah, that that sometimes probably could be quite a lonely experience, especially if things uh, hadn't hadn't gone well in the game, and you're in the dressing room on your own, and there's upset players around. Um, so, you know, we're always very conscious with referees starting off that, that this is the case. Uh, on the positive side of that, it does, um, if, if you can survive those years in junior football by yourself, um, you're going to be okay. Because as you move up the ranks, then assistant referees appear. So there's three of you. Come into senior football, a fourth official. So there's four. And... For all the international games now, the, the guys travel as a team of four. So you're not really by yourself. You have your own uh, team of match officials all, all together for all international matches. Um, when I started off on the FIFA list, when we were appointed to youth games, we did go on our own. Uh, I can remember going to a few games, Belgium, Portugal, a couple of games that come to mind by myself. And then there were local uh, assistant referees with you. So that was um, a, a little uh, totally different from what it is today because now it's all about many tournaments and people working in teams and uh, all international appointments are, are neutral referees. So um, I don't ever recall thinking this as a lonely occupation. It was, it was uh, I think you... I think if you go into refereeing, you understand that. Um, but what we what we do do try and do or should try and do is have that support structure. If somebody 
needs to talk to somebody, then there should be somebody available for them to talk to. So the World Cup, talk us just just through the games, just briefly. You know, the emotion, the feeling, particularly during the coin toss, the national anthems. You know, uh, you know the whole world is watching. It must have been. Yeah, listen, you must have been nervous then, but I imagine the adrenaline was, the adrenaline was flowing rightly. Yeah. Um. Well, the appointment uh, for for Mexico in '86 came, I think, in February '86, and and uh, if you compare the preparation for these tournaments in my time and the preparation now, it, it's totally night and day, um, because. You know, you were informed that you were going to the World Cup finals, and then you had to start thinking about um, preparation and training. And then, of course, there was the altitude factor in Mexico. And and uh, I mean, now all the guys have their own fitness coaches. They've all got uh, medical advice. They've all got advice on nutrition, hydration, psychology. Uh, <laughs> you name it, it's it's available. Um, there's a science applied to the fitness training, whereas I was by myself and carried off on Loch Moss Park, which is still there, trying to train for altitude. Um, so, um, I mean, but it's fantastic the progress that that has been made and the and the development that has come on in refereeing, of course. Um, but obviously, very much the unknown. Um, and going into a group of referees from all over the world, especially the European guys who you'd seen on television, uh, big household names in terms of, of refereeing. Uh, but again, when you go to these tournaments, it's, you know, we call, we, we talk about the referee family and, and everybody's in it together and everybody's there to support each other. And uh, whilst there is competition for obviously later stages of, of the tournaments, um, it's, it's everybody's Everybody's together and supporting each other. Uh, nervousness. Um, there was, well, it, it probably the the one I do remember was my first appointment, which was as a linesman uh, for the match Argentina Italy in Puebla and in, in Mexico. <laughs> so uh, it was the second match in the group stage, and you can imagine giants of Europe against the giants of a, of, of South America. This wasn't. Just an ordinary international match, and uh, obviously Maradona playing for Argentina and all the Italian stars. So um, I honestly do remember a few seconds of walking out onto the. I think it was when we were walking out onto the field. Uh, I don't think it was during the national anthems, but it was at some point anyway that um, I nearly. Uh, I'm not quite sure what hit me. I think there was just a realization that um, wow, this is this is it. I'm here, um, and just for a few seconds, I just needed to get a, a grip on myself and compose myself and, and focus on the game, which I, which I managed to do okay. So it, it may well be an equivalent to a player freezing on the big day. I don't know. I don't know, but referees or assistant referees can't afford <laughs> to lose concentration for a split second. Um, and as far as the game was concerned, it went... It went fine, no issues, and and uh, moved on to the next game. You've talked already about the advancement, you know, even with regards to the well-being, I suppose, of referees nowadays, and they've got the fitness and they've got the mental aspect of it and whatever. If you could do it all again, right, would you do it 
at your time, in your generation, or would you choose for today, when the referee arguably is even under even more scrutiny, um, and you've got VAR and everything else to, to go with it, would you prefer to be doing it in these times, or, or back whenever you had your apprenticeship and then on through? Oh, very good question. Um... I have no regrets, that's for sure, and I wouldn't want to turn the clock back. And I've had a fantastic um, journey, which which hopefully hasn't come to an end yet, of course. Uh, the, if, if, I, if I could get any benefit from today's, it would certainly be around the science and fitness, the help with fitness, um, because, and I was always quite lucky where I was always, when I was refereeing, um, pretty fit um, but my training didn't have any have any science behind it any it was just simply running on a on a on a grass pitch or running down the road and running home again or doing a few sprints here and there there was nothing in it that um, was 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 uh, planned or calculated uh, so I would love to have had those um, facilities there obviously the psychology which I'm very interested in um, which I do believe can help referees. When I when I listen to presentations on that, it, it all it all makes perfect sense to me. So all the modern support systems that are available are things that I would have certainly welcomed. Um, and then the game has changed that much. I mean, it's got so much faster. There's more scrutiny with television. I mean. We've all made the same mistakes 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago that are being made today. We just didn't get caught because there wasn't the uh, scrutiny that there is today. So take it from that, you would go back and do it in your generation again, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> from that point of view, probably yes. Um, <laughs> but but no, when I see, when I'm working with the guys at the top level and, and maybe going to seminars uh, and, and seeing all the the, uh, the fantastic support that is all available to them. Then you, you do think, I wish I, I wish I had that. But li listen, I've no regrets whatsoever. I'm, I'm curious from a referee standpoint about the language used in the game. So when you look at other sports, let's say you look at rugby, for instance, right? And you've got a situation whereby, you know, there'll be players in certain continents refer to the referee as sir, right? Meanwhile, in football. And this goes right to the top elite level where you can have, you know, someone in the Premier League effing and blinding at the referee. From a referee's standpoint, what do you make of it? What, what we say, Pete, rightly or wrongly, um, and yes, I agree with you, there's different cultures in rugby, different cultures in, in, in football. And, and even if we mention hockey again, a player, if a player says anything to a hockey umpire, it's immediately penalized so that there's not even any conversation there but um so using industrial language or foul language or whatever you you want to call it i think in refereeing we're um guilty is perhaps not the right word but it's the manner in which it's said is is really what what tilts the balance quite a lot so and then we've got to understand that players get frustrated as well so the language may be used in an act of frustration and not directed directly at the referee. Um, on the other side of the coin, obviously blatant abuse, verbal abuse, 
directed straight at the referee is something that or assistant referee or fourth official etc is something that that we just can't accept so whilst i'm not making excuses for it sometimes um frustration plays its part sometimes it's direct abuse which has to be dealt with and sometimes it's somewhere in between <laughs> for referees everywhere i'll bring you into it if you want to give your own personal thought on this that's fine but you've got a player who's right in your face and you think it's all about to kick off how do you maintain that calm and you know that 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 it, there's not an altercation it's a, it's about managing the situation really and every situation is different and every player is different and you you could manage a, a player in a certain way and it's going to work and you could try it with another player and it doesn't work and i mean i could think of countless examples where it's worked and a few that it hasn't worked so it, it's knowing your audience if you like know the player know how to deal with it um some of them a quiet word will be enough some of them it needs to be a firm uh, final warning and that's enough the odd few probably it's not going to matter how often you, you talk to them it's uh, it's not going to produce a positive result that you're after so how much research should you do on the players i appreciate if you're working in a local league like here and you're, you're, you're week in, week out, and you're on a roster whereby you're covering, you know, a certain team numerous times in the season. You get to know the players. But whenever it comes to the international game, you know, um, and, and particularly if you're not doing top international games, maybe you're doing schoolboys or under-21s or something like that, how much research then does a, a referee do before a game to highlight certain players that they should be keeping an eye on or whatever? Is there a lot of that? Uh, there's there's a lot of it at the very top level, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, even attack from a tactical awareness point of view to understand how the teams are going to play, um, is very very important. And the top referees do get support with that at, at tournaments. Um, uh, and so the so the problem players, if you like, if that if that doesn't sound uh, the wrong way to put it, they're very aware of the problem players. Um, but that that's not. That research is not done so that they know who the first player they're going to caution will be. So it's not a, a situation that they've got a list of guys who potentially can cause a problem. And as soon as one of them steps out of line, then it's a yellow card. That uh, preparation is done to prevent the yellow card from arriving. So the referee can manage this individual player um, to the best of his ability to try and prevent the potential problems happening happening down the line and at top level now actually um, I have no doubt that the coaches of the teams and the players also will do a bit of research into the referees so they have a fair idea of the of his personality of his character of his attributes um, so when all that goes on you would hope um, that things that things would be good and and the discipline at the top level is, is pretty good is it, there is a mutual respect there. It does get more difficult when you start to move down to the, the less high-profile, um, the less high-profile matches. But with the media the way it is now, and YouTube and and all sorts of uh, platforms available to referees, you can research uh, and, into the players, and that isn't that is an important part of the of the referees' preparation. But back in the day, whenever you were blowing the whistle and anyone was doing any research in you, what would have been your attributes, you think, would have been coming up in the research? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't imagine in my time there would have been too too much of that happening. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, you go back to the Irish League and, um, and 
you 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 re- you referee games in the Irish League for years. You know you're synonymous with the league. Synonymous is any manager. Synonymous is any player. Um, and you're writing your memoirs now, and I know you've got your 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 books that, that tell all. I mean, just um, you know, number one, what why why are you writing your memoirs? What why do you feel now is the right time to do it? And um, just how much detail do you have in those little uh, books of yours? Yeah. Um. Well, why why am I doing it? Uh, I was approached by a publisher quite a while ago. Who I mean, she said to me, "Look, you've got a story to tell." Um, and I sort of half agreed with her. Yes, I, I do have a story to tell, um, but I simply have no time. Um, so I'd sort of put her off, and the idea was still niggling in the back of my mind um, that this would be a, a you know, yeah, this would be a nice thing to do. Um, so. Then, of course, we get hit by coronavirus, and all of a sudden, there was a way to, most of us probably had all the time in the world, or certainly more time than we than we we had had in the previous years. So I decided, uh, okay, this this is going to put in a fair bit of time, and it would be a nice thing to do and a nice thing to have. And the more I thought about it, uh, I could see where she was coming from, where she had. She'd seen my profile somewhere and she'd recognise that there has to be a story to tell. And I suppose it's a little bit like this morning, Pete, where we've talked through a lot of things from, from day one to, uh, to today. Uh, so anyway, I've started and uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Um, and quite remarkable when you start to do little bits and pieces of research and uh, just the way you can link a lot of things in to, to the story. Um, so, uh, I've got a sort of a target by the end of this year that the whole thing will have to be done and dusted. So, <laughs> um, it, that's what's, that's what's pushing me on. Uh, you asked me about my notebooks. It's very simple. It's the date of the game, uh, where the game was played, the two clubs, the score, and I think that's it. And what the match fee was, uh, I think is... It's all that's there. It's not, it was only in later, for some reason, it was only later on I started to record the number of yellow cards and red cards, but they're not there for, for every game. So that's how I can, uh, I can uh, obviously find so much material um, for certainly the, the refereeing part of my career. Do you think referees get paid enough? Well, I wouldn't begrudge any referee any, and I think, uh, I mean, because um, I'll give you my, I don't know what referees in, in the local game get paid. I imagine whenever you're up doing Champions League football, World Cups, Premier League football, whatever, I imagine they get, they get, they get a, a good wage. But I tell you what, from from seeing what some referees have to go through, in my opinion, no matter how much they get, it's not enough. So that's my opinion. Yeah, I know. Well, let's let's say domestic football. Obviously, uh, obviously, I know referees are conscious of the financial situation with the clubs, and and uh, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I think at the moment, an Irish league referee, if I'm right, is is getting about two hundred pounds a game, and an assistant referee probably half half of that, or slightly more than half of that. So, you, you can see immediately that that's a, a fair bit of outlay for a club, um, especially if they're if they're not getting. Uh, you know, that big a crowd in, into the games. But, I mean, it's fantastic to see the progress Niffle have made now and the increase in the number of people coming to games. And, of course, Corona Barris has, has put the brakes on, 
I'm not just Irish League football, but the world, of course, and it's not a, a priority at the moment. Um, internationally, referees, yes, are, are, uh, are extremely well paid, but they've got an extremely responsible job and they're dealing with multi-millionaires. Uh, so referees' salaries are nowhere near on the same scale as players. Um, so uh, is money the motivator when you start off refereeing? Probably not, because would you do it for the money that you're going to get? Um, I don't genuinely think too many people go into refereeing to get to get money when they start off. But for young referees, and I remember having this conversation when I did some work in schools. Um, you know, the the uh, the teachers asking me about how much a young referee would get paid. Um, and if that was 25, 30 pounds a game, and they did a couple of games, that's not a bad little earner for, on, on a weekend for a 16, 17 year old who's out in the fresh air getting physical exercise and actually learning life skills as well when he's refereeing football matches without actually realizing it. Learning how to handle situations, managing situations, dealing with difficult moments, making decisions, observation skills, the list goes on and on. So it's actually a, an education in itself. So, you know, we talk about your journey and we've spoken about it now for however many minutes. If you could go back again and just referee again in your career, would there be one that you would pick? Is there one standout game that you thought, you know what, I nailed a performance. It was a brilliant match. You know, or some incredible goals. Is is there any moments like that in your journey that you look back upon and think, you know what, that's the one? For some reason, one that does always come back to my memory is a match at Coleraine and Crusaders, which was a four-four draw. And I still, I mean, as one guy in particular who was at the game, was still talks about this game. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> Um, I mean, you can highlight many international matches for different reasons, but not one specific one, I don't think. Maybe some decisions I would rather change, but <laughs> it's, it's uh, the matches, yeah, yeah. Um, when you're walking out onto that pitch and you're leading the players out, I know they feel a different way than what you felt as a referee walking out. Maybe the buzz was was greater. I I, I don't know. You tell me. Was when you walked out in the in the full stadium? At the highest level, and the crowd are going nuts. Um, just talk me through that moment as a referee. What what is going through your head? Um, excitement, anticipation, pride. You're representing your country. Um, you've worked and worked and worked and worked to get to this level. You're not gonna you're not gonna get it wrong. Um, probably not nervous, but certainly focused. Uh. I always find the national anthems in, in those international matches a motivator um, because they they uh, they were something extra that you didn't have in every game. Um, and just a determination to, to get this game through to a safe conclusion uh, and and uh, and move on because and, and also very conscious that you're representing your country, representing the Irish FA, representing your referee colleagues. And this would apply to any international referee, um, you know, because it's Alan Snotty, Northern Ireland. It's it's our country, uh, and and that's and that's 
you know, people are judging refereeing in your country on what they see from you or what they see from an international referee from here. Um, you know, so you, you have a, you, you don't have a load of, you're not conscious you're carrying a load of responsibility on your shoulders, but you actually, you actually are. Um, and just to get that game to a safe conclusion is the important part. At this moment in time, you're writing your memoirs. It gives you an awful lot of time to reflect on your career and what an amazing career it was. On the pitch in black, blowing your whistle. If you could go back again to speak to your 16, 17, 18-year-old self, what would, what would the advice be based on everything that you've been through? To myself? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I don't think there's an awful lot that I would change. I don't think there's an awful lot I could have changed. Um, I know we've spoken about all the modern support uh, mechanisms that are there now, which obviously weren't there then. Um, I certainly refereed as often as I could and accepted all the appointments I was ever given and would never have been on a Saturday afternoon without a game. Um, so I was always getting a lot of experience. But I really genuinely, Pete, can't put my finger on anything that uh, um, I would I would say say to myself uh, differently because we just didn't simply have anything else then. Um, but good question, which I can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get fed up with people asking you to explain the offside rule? <laughs> I'm trying to explain that now for a living, really, so I am. So, um, yeah, you're not asking me to explain it now, are you? <laughs> no, I am not. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's certainly the question. Um, offside and handball are the topics at the moment that are causing the most debate and discussion, but uh, I'm not quite sure why it's all changed over the years, but it seems to have. Um, Alan, listen, I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you so much. You've had an incredible journey, and I really hope that whenever you you you, you get this book written, that you can look back on it with pride and with fondness, um, and and to realise that you know you did have the respect not only of the players and the managers, um, and no matter what was shouted at you from the stands, you had the respect of the fans as well. So, congratulations on an amazing career, and thanks for joining us and sharing your journey with us. Thank you so much, Pete, for your interest. It's been a great chat, as you have said, and uh, I look forward to getting this this uh, this book done and dusted and and the project finished. But uh, you're right; it it um it's bringing back a lot of memories, and uh, it's certainly going to be very very rewarding. And um, let's hope the journey has a few more years ahead of it as well. So, thanks for your interest. Well, thank you. Thanks so much to Alan for coming on the journey this time around. Um, I thought it was. Uh... A really interesting story. I mean, as I've always said, and I've said in this, I mean, I, you couldn't pay me enough money in the world to be a football referee. And it always really intrigued me as to why people get involved in the game. The, the bottom line is this, I love football. And if we didn't have referees, uh, those people who put themselves out to blow the whistle, to be assistant referees, to be fourth officials, we wouldn't have the game that we know and we love. So well done to Alan um, for uh, his incredible career for being the man in the middle, for uh, getting it right most of the time, um, and for giving us a real insight as to what makes a referee tick. I found it really interesting how referees at the um, at the highest level will research the players who they are going to be refereeing. 
I also find it really interesting that it's not about having the power in the middle blowing the whistle. It's it's about being involved in the game and maybe for a lot of referees it's like it's like Alan's journey, you know? Um wanting to be involved in the game but knowing that they, they, they perhaps wouldn't have the skill and talent to be a player at the highest level and that's what gets them in to refereeing. And I also find it really interesting about how Alan views language used in football. As I said, you know, I can be watching Premier League football and you don't have to be a lip reader to know what the players are saying, particularly to the referee. And in other sports, you don't get that. You know, uh, players would be sent off um, for uh, for bad language and whatnot. And I thought it was really interesting how he diced around that issue. Um, so there you have it. Uh, another journey, this time with Alan Snoddy. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying the series so far. And if you have been, please do uh, submit your comments. Um, give us a rating. Uh, and of course, most importantly, tell your friends. Feel free to like, feel free to share. Uh, so there you go. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time around.